Isaiah 40. It is our preaching passage for the month of December. And in it, we are beholding our God. We're beholding the glory of God and the greatness of God and the grace of God. And in beholding, we are being led. The Word is leading us to return to the Lord, to trust the Lord. The prayer, my prayer at the beginning of December was that the Lord would use Isaiah 40 to renew us in His strength. It ends. Isaiah 40 ends. That's next week. i got to be careful I don't preach it now. Next week, it ends with renewed strength for everyone who waits upon the Lord. And that's been the goal. It's been the prayer that the Lord would let us behold Him and be renewed in Him. So week one, we started, verses 1 through 8, renewal by the grace of God for the forgiveness of our sins. Week two, last week, renewal through the coming of the Lord in His kingly rule and His shepherding care over our lives. Week three today, a renewed understanding. Today is going to be about our understanding, our perception of God as the incomparable God. Christmas Eve we'll finish up with renewed strength. So, stand with me in honor of God's Word, and we'll read Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scale, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? 
Who made him understand? Who taught him path, the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman and sets up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is uns unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is God's word. You may be seated. A new and renewed understanding of God comes with the call of repentance and faith. And that leads to spiritual renewal. A renewed understanding of God calls us to repentance and faith, and that leads to spiritual renewal. Repentance, repentance from our false, self-generated, 
selfishly imposed understanding of God and all of the kind of living that results from that. And faith, faith in who God really is, as God really is, as He has revealed Himself, which leads to trust and hope, waiting upon the Lord, obedience to the Lord, which glorifies Him. It's Isaiah 40 that provides such clarity about God and calls for this kind of repentance and faith. This is a classic representation of what I call the revelation and response pattern in the Bible. Revelation and response pattern in the Bible. God reveals, we respond. It's a pattern in the Bible. God, by His grace, reveals Himself to us. Isaiah 40, along with all of the Old Testament, reveals God. We've said it often here, but if you get lost in the details of the Old Testament, just remember this. If you forget everything, remember this. God is showing you something about Himself. Isaiah 40, along with all of the Old Testament, reveals God. And He is pointing to the final, the full revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ. He's pointing, signposts all through the Old Testament pointing. And then we come to the Gospels and all of the New Testament. And God there reveals Himself to us in Christ Jesus. And that's why we can speak so freely about Jesus Christ when we're reading Isaiah 40. We're reading an Old Testament prophet 700 years before Jesus but we speak so freely about Jesus when we do. Because everything in this prophecy is pointing to Him. That's the revelation of God. The revelation of God in Christ is by grace. He doesn't leave us wordless. It's by grace. And then it calls for a response. Every time we hear of God, every time He is revealed to us in the Word, a response comes to us, a call to response comes to us to believe Him, to repent of our sin, to repent of the way we have thought about Him that is wrong, to trust Him, to worship Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, to hope in Him. It's all wrapped up in the response of faith. The revelation of God is to us by grace, and the call to a proper response to God is the response of faith, and it's everywhere in the Bible, everywhere. Jesus stood before his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, me, and there's Jesus. We'll, we've already read this morning, and we'll read again. There's Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity dwelling in him. God in the flesh is standing in front of human beings, if anyone would come after me, there he is. There he is revealed to us. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is. There's the response of faith. That's what you do when God shows up before you and says, I'm here. And so it is with Isaiah 40. God 
is revealing himself. And we are being called to respond. God is showing us who he is so we won't be left in the dark. And that is called grace. And when we respond to him, that is called faith. The purpose of Isaiah 40, the reason for God revealing himself through Isaiah to these people in Isaiah's time, the people who are in exile in Babylon, they've been taken from their land as discipline for their sin, and they wonder, has God forgotten them? And they now have formed some notions, some perceptions of God that need to be cleared up. And that's the purpose of Isaiah 40. It's to clear up these, the, the exiled people's incorrect understanding, to correct them, to give them a true awareness of God and His nature and the extent of His wisdom and the extent of His power and the extent of His care for them. Isaiah wrote this to assure these people in exile that God is willing and God is able to deliver them. That He hasn't forgotten them. He wants to renew them. He wants to renew their faith in Him. The prophet Daniel, another Old Testament prophet, who himself was in exile in Babylon, wrote, The people who know their God shall stand firm and show great strength. The people who stand firm and show great strength are not standing firm and showing great strength in themselves. They are standing firm and showing great strength. They are renewed when they know God. That's what Isaiah is after. He wants us, God wants us through Isaiah to know Him. God wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him as He is. And that's why he reveals himself to us the way he is doing in this chapter. So that we can know him. So that we will trust him. So that we will be firm in faith. Do you remember way back, weeks ago, the beginning of Isaiah, when the Lord said to King Ahaz, if you're not firm in your faith, you won't be firm at all. We stand firm in faith when we know God, Daniel saying, He is the strength of our heart he is the motivation for our for our active obedience and so our purpose today here at grace community church in this room on this day is that we would behold the incomparable god in christ so that we will know him and in knowing him we will respond to him in faith and our faith will be firm now along the way we might be called to some repentance. Because we might see that we've been thinking about God the wrong way. That we've had small thoughts of God. Our thoughts are of a small God. And He will correct us today. But what a beautiful correction. And we'll be called to repent and we'll be called to embrace this repentance as good and then exercise faith as we respond to him 
Now, this morning, I'm going to quote a handful of times from one person, which I don't normally do, but I'm going to do it today, and it's J.I. Packer from the book Knowing God. And the reason is because I had read Isaiah 40 before I read, uh, heard of J.I. Packer. But in this book, Knowing God, he opened up, began to open up to me Isaiah 40 in ways that I had never seen it before. And so a lot of the reason for landing in Isaiah 40 is because now for 20 or 5 or 30 years, Isaiah 40 has been a chapter of the Bible that has been so powerful to many of us, to me and to many of us. So I'm going to quote him often this morning, okay? And here's what he said, one of the things he said. He wrote about this. He, he wrote about knowing God. The book's called Knowing God. He wrote about knowing God by seeing God. Beholding God, God being revealed to us and then responding in faith. And so here's a, a line. He said, ignorance of God, both of his ways and the practice of communion with him, ignorance of God, lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. Now, I'm, I'll interrupt Brother Packer several times, I'm sure, to talk about this, but so... We say, why is the church so weak? Now, in my world, because I am around pastors all the time, there's a thousand answers as to why the church is so weak. And then there are a thousand books that are written to address those reasons that the church is so weak, and conferences, by the way. And he says, he says, it's simple. We don't know God. We don't know God. What, what's at the root of the church's weakness? We don't know God. He goes on. Two unhappy trends seem to have produced this state of affairs. One is that the Christian minds, Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit. The spirit that spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. Modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, has, have, as a rule, small thoughts of God. When the person in the church, let alone the person in the street, uses the word God, the thought is rarely of divine majesty. This, he says, has led to trend, led to trend number two. Christian minds have been confused by the modern skepticism. The Bible and the foundation facts of the faith are called into question. So, that in end quote. So, when the revelation of the Bible, which is all about God, is not responded to in faith, but rather when it is replaced by the reasonings of man, then the God of the Bible is no longer known. And the church grows weak, and men and women die in their sins. All because we don't know God. Great chapters of the Bible, like Isaiah 40, which we're in, John chapter 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. That should be easy to remember. 1, 1, and 1. They're all about Christ. When they're no longer known, when they're no longer comprehended, 
when they're no longer believed, then there's no confidence for a future hope. And so day after day, decade and century after decade and century, war after war, humans go on in darkness. And the church struggles to keep her footing in the truth of God Himself. And now here's the good news. This can change. This state of affairs can change. God can change it. I can't. You can't. Collectively, we can't. But God can. And that's why He gave us the Bible. God has revealed Himself. He says in Isaiah 40, Behold your God. Get up on a mountain. Herald the news. Behold your God. God can be known because God has revealed Himself in Christ. And when He has revealed himself when he when he is known through Christ back to J.I. Packer Christians then have the instinct of trust and worship stimulated very powerfully in their hearts because they know how great he is the instinct to trust and to worship is stimulated by the knowledge of God in Christ it can change God can renew us. There can be renewal and revival. There can be an awakening in your heart and in the church. God has not left us without words and without the Spirit. He has not left us without a vision of Himself. He can renew us. And this is what we're asking for. And it's God who has stirred this, by the way. Only God could stir in our hearts this morning to want to be renewed in the knowledge of Him. Only God could stir in us this morning to want to know Him deeply and to make Him known in our world. And that's what we're asking for. Back to Isaiah 40. In this chapter, God is reasoning with His people. Reasoning. Now, He did it earlier, Isaiah 1. You remember that, when the Lord said, Come, let us reason together. Now here, in Isaiah 1, He's reasoning with the people who are in rebellion. He's, they're, they're going away from Him, and He is reasoning to pull them back. And He says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. Now there is God reasoning with His people. Saying, don't be stiff-necked, don't be rebellious, don't go your own way. Come back to me and I'll cleanse you and I'll wash you and I'll protect you and I'll care for you. 
Here in Isaiah 40, particularly these verses, the verses we're looking at today, verses 12 and following, 12 through 25, the Lord is reasoning with His people for renewal. He is reasoning them into renewal. He is reasoning with His people that they would come to a new way of perceiving Him. He started the chapter in the first 11 verses. He said, I'm going to cleanse you and forgive you of your sins. We read it. My glory is going to be revealed. My word stands forever. I'm going to come ruling with my arm as a king. I'm going to come gathering with my arm as a shepherd. We talked about all that. He's going to close with this chapter. This is next week. He says, I'll renew you with strength if you'll wait upon me. And right in the middle, he's answering a big question that they have. How do we know? How can we be assured you'll do this? And verses 12 through 25, where we are today, the answer is because he is God. Because he is incomparable. Because he is above all powers. He is sovereign over all creation. And because he is alive and because he is responsive to his, to his people. See, these questions that are coming to us in these verses, it's question, did you notice as I read? It's question after question showing us the very nature and the ways of God. And this is God reasoning with us into faith and into renewed strength. Let's see how he does it. Verse 12, he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale, the hills in a balance? So the question is, who is God in relation to creation? We need, to under, we need to get our perception of God straight. Who is God in relation to creation? Well, He's over it, like, like above it. He's outside of creation. He is incomparable with creation. Yes, at times the Bible says things like, God is our rock and our fortress. But that is not the same thing as saying, God is equal to a rock, or equating God and a rock. That is using language to give us some kind of touch point so that we will understand how it is that God provides and protects us. But God and a rock are not the same. Here it tells us God weighs the rocks in a scale. He talks about the water. He says, look at verse 12. He says he measures the water in the hollow, hollow of his hand. Now, I don't want to geek out, but, and because some of y'all could do it better than me, but the estimated, I did look this up, the estimated volume of water on the earth, this is beyond my comprehension, is about 332 to 333 million cubic miles. Or, 1,260 plus 18 zeros liters. And God measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. Not a physical hand. See, perception. It's poetry. It's imagery. God doesn't have a physical hand. Because even if God, if we said God had a physical hand and it's even big enough to hold that much water, there's still a limit to that much water and there would therefore be a limit to that hand. God is, the, don't miss the point. The point is God is unlimited. The point is he is infinite. 
He's incomparable. The heavens, he marks them off with a span, a span. A span is the distance between your little finger and your thumb. You hold it out, and he's marking it off with a span. Now, I can't, we can't begin to give the numbers related to the solar systems and the galaxies in the universe. I listened to somebody do that this week, and I just went numb. I literally, I literally went numb. But there is, there's a limit to the solar system and the galaxies in the universe because God, with the span, can measure it. The dust, 40,000 metric tons of cosmic dust are added to the earth every year. I didn't know that. But the earth weighs so much that it doesn't impact its orbit. And it's measured by God. The mountains. Everest. Who measures Everest? God, but somebody tried. And they estimated that it weighs 357 trillion pounds. Weighed by God. So it's okay to do all that, but please don't miss the point. God created it. God is above it. God is outside it. God sustains it. God can't be compared to it. And what is fascinating is that when you come to the New Testament, John 1, Colossians 1, we're going to repeat these over and over, John 1, Colossians 1, it says that Jesus Christ is the word by which all of this was created, all of it is held together, and all of it is sustained. Jesus Christ. He's incomparable. Are you just, I mean, we could end the sermon there and you'd have a big picture of God. But there's more. Verses 13 and 14. He says, who measures his spirit? And there, uh, Hebrew scholars, some translate that measure as who directs. Who directs the spirit of the Lord? Has anybody ever done that? In other words, no, it's a rhetorical question. No one has ever directed the spirit of the Lord. No one has ever informed God of anything. Nobody ever made God aware of something. God never said to anybody, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that. No one's ever counseled God on the wise course of action that he should take. Well, we have, like I do all the time. But that, that's my foolishness, not his. No one adds anything to God. He already knows. And he already knows all that we don't know. He already knows everything. Again, John chapter 1. We, God knows everything. We come to know God through Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Wisdom? Nobody gives God wisdom. God is wise. And God's, God's wisdom is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1. Christ. It's all pointing to him. Verse 15 through 17. Let's talk about the nations, he says. The size of a nation, the pride of a nation, the resources of a nation, the culture of a nation, add absolutely nothing to God. Nothing. Lebanon, he says. Lebanon, with all of its forests, all of its trees. Not enough there for an adequate burnt offering worthy of God. He says the nations are a drop from the bucket. Now, I, I don't know, I may be making more out of this than needs to, but 
from and in, I think, are important. This says, the nations are a drop from the bucket. Now, a drop in the bucket. I guess that makes a difference. I mean, you could literally fill up a bucket drop by drop. But a drop from the bucket, it just pops out and it's gone. You don't think about it. It's nothing. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't love the nations. There's some strong language here when he says the nations, he accounts them, they account, are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. You could say, well, that means God doesn't like the nations. Not at all. God sent his son into the world to be the savior of the nations. It just means that the nations don't add to God. He is incomparable in his greatness. How about idols? Verse 18 and 20 through 20. How about idols? Verse 18 starts, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare with him? Compare. Are you going to compare God with an idol? Now, again, another, another little J.I. Packerism. He said that sometimes to form a right idea of God's greatness, it might be helpful to compare God with forces and things that we think are great. Not because God might lose, but to show us how incomparable God is. How about an idol? Now, these people are in Babylon. These exiles are in Babylon. They're doubting God. They don't know how great God is. And he says, don't, don't compare me with an idol. And the, the God of the Babylonians was Marduk. That was their deity. Marduk's name means bull calf. Yahweh's name is I am. So take your pick. Marduk started out as a local deity. But because people were waging war and doing various things in their mind, he rose in prominence in the Mesopotamian pantheon to be one of the great gods. In other words, we could say he climbed the corporate ladder. Yahweh is I am. So once again, take your pick. The bottom line is that idols are made in such a way that they have to be crafted so they won't fall over. Now, if your God, if your God's name is Bullcalf, or if he has to climb a ladder to get to prominence, or he has to be propped up, then what's the point? That's, that's what Isaiah is saying. That's the point. The point is that deity does not dwell in idols of wood, stone, and metal. Deity dwells in a man of flesh and blood and bone whose name is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Christ is in the song. I'm telling you, the Christmas carols, the Christmas songs. I mean, please mark this down. We've got to sing one of these in July. Christ the highest. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold, he comes, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled 
in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. Verse 21. Don't you know what was told you from the beginning? Don't you understand the reality at its foundational level? Verse 22 and 23. The Lord superintends, sits above, governs all of creation, including the affairs of men and those who have power over men like princes and rulers. Verses 23 and 24. We could go on and on and on with comparisons of God and everyone and everything and every imagination would come up short because God is incomparable. And so he says in verse 25, To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. The answer? No one. Nothing. Okay, so, God is God. Isaiah 40 has revealed him as incomparable. Why does that matter? Why does that matter to you and me? following Christ I mean we rattled off just two or three little things about the weight of mountains and the solar system and how much water there is and all that but let's be honest you didn't give that two thoughts this week you don't care you just want to know it's water coming out of the tap when you turn it that's all you're interested in so to say that God is beyond that, the question comes to us, why does it matter? Like, what does it matter for me now, for today? And the reason we can ask that question is because that's what the people of Isaiah's day were asking. We're coming to this next week, but he says in verse 27 that the people of God were saying, our way's hidden, you can't see us, you don't regard our right, you don't know what we're going through. We're in trouble. Why do we care if you can measure a mountain, weigh a mountain? Here's why. Here's the answer. So that we will think well about God. That's our hope. Behold your God, he says. Think well about God. Think well about God in Christ. Think about God the way God has revealed himself to you in the Bible. Think about God according to truth. What we behold will eventually hold us. Are you beholding God as a small God? Are you beholding God? Are we beholding God? This is convicting. Are we beholding God as just someone who is to get us out of the present trouble? Instead of the God who is beyond everything, who's getting us to himself? It's not easy, I know, it's not easy to remember God for who God is when the world is in turmoil and in chaos. And maybe you don't have a sensitive conscience. I don't know. Maybe when you're reading this stuff in the news and watching this stuff on television and, and seeing this stuff on, on your computer, it just, it, all the turmoil and chaos, and it just goes right over your head and you say, okay, I'm glad I'm not there. I don't know. But some of us, Say to ourselves, what's going on? And where's the Lord? And what's happening? And what's the future? 
And we have to behold God as He is. He is this powerful. His timing we don't understand. But in the midst of the turmoil and the chaos, we need to come back and we need to think very clearly about God. That God is sovereign. That God does take notice of His people. That He's working everything, everything out for our salvation and our good. That He will get His glory in this world. It's a mystery to us, but we must come back and root ourselves here if we're going to have any strength, if we're going to be firm in our faith. So God gave us this revelation so He can reason us out of unbelief. So He can reason us out of despondency over the realities of this world. So that He can reason us into reality, which is Him. Repent. Let's repent of our of our small thinking of God. Let's pray like we have repented. When you read that stuff and you're overwhelmed, just pray. Say, you know, when are we all going to get together and pray? Pray right then. You trust the Lord. Call out to Him. So, why think of all this? What does it matter? So you will think right about God. And why else? So that you'll think right about yourself. I'm setting this up for next week, Christmas Eve. Setting this up for next week. When you think about how big God is, there's two things you come away with. You come away with humility. You're not God and I'm not God. But you come away with encouragement because he tells you in this passage, and we'll hear it next week, he tells you that this God who is incomparable takes notice of his people. Our way is not forgotten by God. Our right as His children that He granted to us is not disregarded by our God. He doesn't grow weary. He gives strength to those who wait upon Him.